Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 141, week 141, volume 141, number fucking 141. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Matt of Boundaries, and that will be coming up later in the show. So I need to start things off with kind of the obvious thing we need to talk about, and it's been no show for the last couple of weeks. For all our regular listeners who are also following us and like us on social media, you know that unfortunately I needed to take some time off due to a passing in my family. My grandmother passed away and it really hit home hard, and it's something I've needed some time to process and deal with. My grandmother was my closest friend in the family. And with the current climate of COVID, I couldn't even attend her funeral. So to say I needed to process this is an understatement. So thank you to everyone that reached out, sent me messages of support and love. All of that, I can't describe how much that meant to me. It shows that the community that listen to this show are amazing people. And that's all of you listening. You're all amazing people. So I took some time off, I've processed things, I've worked through things, and I'm feeling a lot fresher because of it. So thank you to everyone for understanding why there wasn't a show for two weeks, but don't worry, we're back, we're gearing up again, and there's lots of content on the way. There's not much else that needs to be said except much love, much respect, much appreciated to all of you that listen to this show, but also I am dedicating this show to my grandmother, my granger. Audrey Spicer, I love you, this show's for you. So enough of the ramblings, let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Matt of Boundaries. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Boundaries? Well... For the uneducated and the unaware, this is a band you need to fucking know. And based off their literally recently released debut album, you are going to know about this band. They formed in around 2015, three EPs, and as I said, recently released their debut album called Your Receding Warmth. They're a band that kind of meld in a few styles. There's a bit of metalcore, there's a bit of classic metal, and there's a bit of hardcore. Exciting band, very exciting band. And for me, I've been following the band for a while. I remember discovering them by chance. So to get the opportunity to have Matt on the show meant a lot to me as a fan. The other thing about having Matt on the show, great guest. So relaxed, lots of fun really entertaining. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. That chat with Matt is coming up now. Everyone gets the same question to start things off and it's kind of not a heavy band but do you remember an artist when you were young that you might have become obsessed with that kind of helped your world you know be open to music existing? Um, so it is a heavy band which kind of feels like cheating um, but it would have to be Slipknot, uh, because in, oh God, it must've been second or third grade. We had a project where we had to make an instrument. Ooh. Um, and so a lot of people 
where like you know like a tissue box and you put like a toilet paper tube and you make like a little guitar out of it with rubber bands it was stuff like that um i made a drum out of a coffee can and i remember drawing basketballs on it because i was playing basketball at the time being just like your standard run-of-the-mill young kid playing sports and um I remember just cutting to shreds uh, my lyric book for subliminal verses and just gluing pictures of all the members of Slipknot onto the side of the coffee can. And uh, my poor teacher was just like, what, what is this? <laughs> what, I mean, uh, what made you yeah. discover, you know, Slipknot? I mean, they are a band that, you know, especially now, but definitely back then you couldn't ignore, but yeah, that's a young age to kind of gravitate towards it. Do you know or do you remember what made you get into them? Yeah, uh, my brother. I have an older brother by five years. Um, so he found a lot of stuff, like just before, like a generation before me. So, you know, I'm 12, but he's 17, 18. He's outgoing to shows. He's doing the stuff that like I'm going to eventually age into. And so he would show me a lot of stuff as he found it and he got me. Uh, volume three by Slipknot for my birthday. Just figuring it would be something that I'd be into because I used to just like listen to my dad's CDs and uh, my brother also got me like a few Atreyu records. And so he was just like, okay, well, if you liked that stuff, I already got you. Here's this other band you might be into. Oof. Hey, that's that's pretty bloody helpful. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. Now, where do you go from there? You know, because... I mean, I'm not going to diss that album. I'm a big fan of that album, especially when it came out. But it's more on the melodic side of things for a Slipknot album. So, yeah, where, do, sure. you, where do you go with your musical discovery? Is it still at that age all determined by your brother or do you start deep diving on your own? Uh, it's definitely assisted by my brother because his frame of reference is just so much larger than mine uh, because he is going to shows you know he's going and buying records um at this point he has a car and he's driving so he's not really bound to just whatever is near us you know he's going across state lines and checking out different tours and you know seeing like uh, like the first time like enter shikari came to the states like he's in that you know hundred cap venue watching them play to a bunch of people who don't know who they are but he's been listening to the first record for forever, so it's big for him. Uh, he saw Chiodos when uh, that band was one still around, and also uh, not big enough for anyone to really know what they would later become. Uh, stuff like that. So he would kind of hand that down to me, and I wasn't into all of it, um, but it was just something new to listen to. I ended up gravitating more towards the, like the heavier side, like more like like death metal type stuff. You know, I'm listening to like Lamb of God. Um, I'm listening to Soil Work. I'm listening to bands that are like sonically heavy, but not like, not like core. You know, not like breakdowns and moshing and stuff. More just like, you know, four and a half minute songs of machine gun, uh, drum, double kick, and uh, lyrics about uh, killing and dying. That's sort of where I went into once I was like on my own, so to speak. So, I mean, your brother's into the music. You're starting to get into the music. Uh, what's the reaction at home like? Do you know? Did you have a parent or parents like mine that were telling me that you know I really should grow up? This is just a phase. What am I doing? You know, or was it kind of like no one cared and they just let you do what you want with your music? 
Um, sort of 50-50 uh, because my dad was into more like his generation heavy music. Like he still listens to like ACDC, Alice in Chains, Disturbed, um, stuff like that, which is more vanilla when I compare it against what I listen to now at the age of 26. But when you're eight years old, um, that stuff is, you know, it's shifting my entire perspective of what music is and can be. Um, so my dad's always been, I guess supportive would be the word for it, but just like, cause I've been playing in bands for the past 10, 11 years. He always kind of got it and understood that it's something that connected with me. Um, but didn't, I, I've definitely had the, the grow up conversation or a phase conversation. Uh, and my mother has always only listened to like Mariah Carey. She listens to like Aerosmith and Creed <laughs> and shit. Like, yeah, nothing against uh, listening to stuff like that. But she's never really had a taste for anything more intense than that style of like rock music. So she'd love Alter Bridge then, probably. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, oh, probably. for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta, you know, and Scott Strap. Oh, I think you know everyone, everyone oh, yeah. listening. Mm. Yeah, I think he's a, a, a misunderstood genius. Maybe some would say. I definitely wouldn't. But uh, um, <laughs> but someone might <laughs> yeah someone someone out there is definitely thinking that. Um, so what about wanting to do music? You know, was there a moment for you? Uh, can you remember a moment when you thought, you know, this is something I want to do more than just kind of get into? I want to actually do it. Um, I think just like that first time you like jam with friends or like do something like sonically creative and like make you're not even like write a song but just like do something like when i was young young 10 11 12 um my parents bought me a drum kit and so i like originally that was how i got into music was like me and my childhood friends because we'd been going to like hardcore punk shows we just like started our own like hardcore punk band every song is 45 seconds long and it's the BPM is at as high as I can play. Um, and it's just like that, that visceral feeling that's just like, I played something, it sounded good or cool. And like that immediate payoff of the adrenaline of like, I'm making this, this is my music. Um, as far as like, when did I know I was going to stick with it and just like kind of ride this wave as far as it'll go. Um, probably once I start getting to the years where I'm like actively deciding to not pursue things like higher education, you know, like college or a trade school. And I'm more so, you know, spending as much of my year in a van driving around touring more than I am at home, trying to get that good job, trying to buy a house or start a savings account or any of those more like adult decisions. So probably uh, 19 or 20 mm-hmm. was when that clock is ticking and it's cause you know, you can always like graduate high school, take that year off. And then people, people don't really have judgment for you then. It's just like, okay, you're doing what you want to do. But once you commit a few years to it, you're 20, 21, 22 and people are like, so you're still, you're really serious, huh? Like you're really <laughs> not going to just, just go to, you know, go get your degree in something and go manage a something. That's, uh, so yeah, probably, probably 19 or 20 was when it was like, okay, I'm just gonna, if not this, then I don't know what else. So I'm going to double down on this. 
Yeah, and I think, I mean, listeners will understand from all the guests we've had, it, it is that moment. You if you can't half-ass the commitment to it. You have to put all the eggs in the basket or not. Um, Absolutely. Otherwise, you know, you just have no chance of giving it a go. Really, you don't. Yeah, you can't, um, you can't have one foot in the door and just be like, oh, well, maybe if something works out, then I'll, I'll shift my focus to this. Um, because, I mean, oftentimes all of your focus and all of your effort still amounts to less than you expected as far as like people listening to your music, people liking it, people buying the shirt. Um, you know, it's very rare that you just put something out and it blows up and you're like, okay, that was easy. Now I'm, I'm on the highway to career musician. You know, you spend years and years putting out songs, writing albums, touring, uh, just hoping something sticks. And you can't do that if you're not, you know, there putting in the legwork. Yeah, and, and that legwork is essential, I think, also. You know, I think you kind of hit a nail on the head that I always think is that some people think the success or the momentum will just be handed to them. And the reality is it's only one out of 100 that get that, you know, instant break. Everyone else, you got to work yeah. for it, you got to grind for it, and the rewards you get will be worth more because you know you worked your ass off for it. Absolutely. Um, I might not have much in ways of when you compare me to other like bands in the genre um, and uh, my friends' bands. You know, not that I'm like jealous or anything. I'm, I'm I've moved past that for sure. That's something that I think uh, shows up when you show up and you're like, well, how come they have so much? But uh, you either grow past that or your band dies, mm. um, and you just focus on yourself. And I've you know I've seen bands that uh, show up, blow up, uh, get every cool tour for two years, um, but they can't hack it. Like they never really had to grind, so they didn't even learn if they wanted to be here. Mm. I mean, there's people in big, you know, parentheses big for uh, everything as far as like metal and core, because this world is still very small compared to the like mainstream music. But there's people who are touring 10 months out of the year who hate touring. Mm. And they didn't know that because when they started their band, they just put out uh, an EP and it blew up. And all of a sudden they were supporting uh, bands that bring a few hundred kids out a night. And now you're in it. You're in the middle of it. And you didn't even really have a chance to find out if you like it here. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, that is the thing. They they blow up and then they disappear. You see so many bands yep. do that. Um, wanted to go back. It was interesting. You said, you know, you um, were on the drum kit originally. Um, and anyone listening now, whether they did or didn't know, you're the man with the microphone, you're center stage. You're not at the back of the stage, you're at the center of it. Um, where was the switch? Was it an accidental switch to vocals or was it something that you were like, yeah, drums ain't cutting it for me, I'm sick of carrying all this shit. You know, where was the switch? <laughs> uh, no, drums are definitely like the most interesting instrument to me still. Um, just uh, the type of like internal timing and rhythm, sort of how many different how far ahead you have to be thinking, but also how in the moment you have to be because you are the rhythm that we are all following for the most part. Um, drums are very interesting. They just, um, my family, I, we don't have money. Drums are really expensive to like keep up with gear because it's kind of the only instrument where you actively are breaking it all the time. Uh, you know, you could, replacing strings, oh no, I'm out 20 bucks, but you break a cymbal um, okay, well, I now need to pony up a few hundred dollars to replace it. Mm. Um, and then as far as like updating gear, it was something that we couldn't really keep up with financially. 
and uh, a microphone just sort of happened to be in a room at one point. I was hanging out with some friends, just kind of deciding what we wanted to do musically. And I just kind of went for it. And like it sounded, you know, way different than I do now, where I've kind of honed it over all the years. But, you know, just pick up a microphone and go for it. And uh, no one else in the room wanted to at the time. So it just kind of became my thing. Were you comfortable, you know, being this, you know, it's not saying no one else in the band is a center of attention, but the reality is that when anyone goes to a live show or looks at a band, their initial focus is on the person with the microphone. Um, And that means that kind of you have to be on all the time. Was that something that you were easy to accept and deal with? Or is that something that transitionally took time? Oh, it took time for sure. Um, Now I've reached a point where like, I'm making music that's important enough to me that like, I don't know, I used to to be nervous because you don't want to look or sound silly. You want to be serious. You want to give off this, this type of aura that's like, okay, you know, they mean it. They're, they're a force to be reckoned with. And, um, that only comes like that type of confidence for me just wasn't there. Um, but once I started making music, that like I cared more about um I no longer called into question like my own confidence as far as like how I looked or sounded uh because those were less important to me than playing music that I liked and thought was good and thought was important um so really just as we wrote more and played more shows that showed up like now I you know I could play in front of 15 people in a bar or go play a warp tour and there's you know, 2000 people in an amphitheater. Like it's all the same to me now. I don't care. I don't really get that, that nervous, like in my stomach feeling anymore because I've just played enough bad shows and I've played enough good shows. (laughs) What about with your vocal development? You know, going back, um, we know how your voice has changed and transitioned over the years. You know, that's something that just happens with the technique and the abilities and the confidence that you grow over the years. But your initial start out, did you go and learn any techniques off YouTube or anything like that? Or were you just winging it and pushing yourself until you couldn't push anymore? I was just winging it. I was just, um, I figured if it hurt or if I lost my voice, then that's something I can't maintain. So I would just avoid doing stuff like that. Um, especially because there are bands where a singer is a part of like their breakthrough record and then they have to step down because they can't they can't handle it anymore they're doing permanent damage to their throat um so i I made sure that like whatever before we get too serious about it i want to find something that i'm comfortable with and so that just came with a lot of like band practices uh a lot of jamming and then gradually through different releases um because once you record something and you can hear it back, you can be like, okay, well, I could have done that better. Or I don't think that's what I actually sound like. Um, let me try it again. And so really once we started uh, recording and I could hear it back and be like, oh, like that's what that sounds like? That's, that's not good enough. Or, okay, this, this more so captures what I want people to, to hear. Yeah, and have you always been com- um, comfortable hearing yourself you know you're saying how it took a while to get comfortable in the live setting have you always been comfortable hearing yourself um on a recording like can you go back and listen to 
something off Hartford Country mis- Misery and you're happy with it? Um, stuff like that, I more so just be like, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with anything, like at a certain point, you have to call what you make uh, done. You know, you have to, you, you can sit on something and edit it and revise it for forever. You're always going to find things to change or improve because over time, your taste is going to develop and be different. Um, so when I listen to stuff that we used to do, even if I don't like it as much as I know I did in the moment we put it out, I still, it is sort of timelessly still mine. So I don't mind it. Um, I I'll go back and I'll hear things like, okay, like if I redid that today, it would sound, you know, to me it would sound better, but to everyone else who likes this version, it would sound different and maybe worse. And I think, um, their value and their opinion of music like that is, is equal to mine. Cause you know, I, I put it out when I like it, but then once it's out, it's sort of up to everyone else to either like it or not. Mm. Yeah. It's important to let it go in a way. Yeah. Eventually you just have to call something done. Uh, and cause then you, it's the only way to move on to other projects. It's the only way to, to grow and to keep creating is to stop working on one thing and start working on another. Now, one thing um, I know is the the scene that you come from or the local scene, you know, Connecticut, um, which I know is not really a small scene. It's kind of a bit of a broad scene. Um, and Boundaries, you guys all came together kind of from other parts and other bands. But the first question I've got is, you know, what was it like for you being in a reasonably vibrant underground heavy metal hardcore scene, did you see that there was opportunities to get out and make it? Or were you just seeing it as that it's kind of in brackets, a safe place to explore your creativity? Uh, yeah. I mean, for a while, Connecticut was a pretty, it, it ebbs and flows between uh, a couple of local venues, but uh, they only last like a year before they get shut down or the lease is up and then they're like, okay, well you throw shows here. My stuff gets damaged. You can't come back. Um, so Connecticut for sure has like these peaks and valleys of a lot of music, a lot of bands, a lot of everything. The culture is very alive and vibrant and then it will sink back down to not much is going on. Um, maybe people are writing and they'll eventually reveal a project. Um, but it's a lot less intense and boundaries has been around to see sort of both come and go. You know, there was definitely, uh, earlier on, uh, like a couple of years ago, there would be not many shows. So it kind of just like whatever we can attach ourselves to. Um, and because we are kind of this genre blending all over the place band, there was times where that worked and we fit in times where it was like, as soon as our set is done and we're packed up, it's like, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, this was, <laughs> I had fun playing, but um, certainly no one gives a shit we're here. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe we don't do this again next time. Um, but then the, the other end of that would be, there's just so, it was a show every weekend. You know, there's one, there's down at the, I'm just going to say a few names. I don't expect anyone to know what they mean. But like Point Beach Clubhouse, there's a show there every weekend and it's just whatever band show. Sometimes the show is 12 bands because everyone wants to play and it starts hella early and goes until midnight. Sometimes the show is four bands because uh, one is touring and coming through and some other people aren't available, but there's always a show there. 
sometimes, you know, for a while it was the Up All Night Collective, and that was a lot of more like hardcore, more like to in your more traditional sense, hardcore. Um, but that went away after like a year. Um, there's places like Crunch House, which is essentially a living room. You know, you could throw a show there, but 15 people can come. Um, so places like that would pop up, but then they'd also, you know, two of those places I just named are, are gone and have been gone for two or two years already. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was really just either you're here right now and you're ready and you can play some shows and people will come out. Um, or you kind of, you missed it. You missed the mark and now you have to wait for it to come back around again. And I think that's, I mean, on top of the fact that there haven't been any shows for most of this year, given the pandemic, uh, Connecticut as a whole was much more quiet uh, leading up to all of this than it had been in a while. And usually that's preceding new bands forming uh, some VFW somewhere, letting somebody rent it out and we get a couple of shows. Um, so I would say that we're probably just like right at the right at the edge, just darkest before the dawn as far as the Connecticut scene coming back um, alive again with new bands and more fresh material, but uh, sort of coming into it for the past year or so, it's been more quiet. Was it was it when you guys were growing up? Was it the kind of scene that um, you felt like you could break out of, or did it feel like the the glass ceiling was literally just the local scene and that you couldn't really break through it? Um, I I really I didn't really think of it in terms like that. I just knew that. I like by the time we started touring, I was I wanted to get out of here. I wanted to go see uh, like other places and how they functioned because every scene is so specific to like the area it's in. Um, and I knew what Connecticut was like. I had played it for so many years. Like I just I don't know if there was a ceiling as much as I felt like I had sort of done as much as I could here. And so now it was either. Um, break up and stop playing music or take this somewhere else, get, you know, take it a little more seriously, get a van, uh, go, go play your surrounding States, see how that goes. You know, don't do anything too crazy. Uh, cause you don't want to break down in the middle of nowhere. But then if those, if the surrounding States go all right and you make a couple of friends and then those friends will put you on shows again when you want to come back. Um, it sort of just, it was more out of necessity. Like it had to happen mm. rather than, whether or not I thought there were opportunities, um, I knew that I had to do it or I had to stop playing music. Now, I mentioned earlier that boundaries you guys came together as kind of, you know, odds and ends of other bands that were going on. So for yourself, where where were you at before boundaries started? You were obviously in another band, but had it kind of reached its limit? And did you just kind of go, well, I'll see what happens? You know, basically, how did boundaries form? Yeah, so um, my other band had broken up. I was 19 or 20, I want to say, right when I knew that like music is something I wanted to pursue and really kind of put my all into because the very limited, you know, if we want to use the word success, uh, just like go playing a show and seeing that there's someone who was at the last one who came again, you know, selling a shirt. Um, somebody learning words to a song that we hadn't even recorded. They've just seen it so many times that they, they remember little parts of it. Stuff like that was enough to keep me going. Um, but I was in a band with sort of high school era friends who had, 
you know, played shows for a little bit, but we're like, maybe this isn't for me or maybe this isn't for me as intensely as it is for you. You know, I want to, I want to go to college. I want to pursue a career in things not music related. I want to do other stuff. Um, so sort of as that fell to the wayside, there was at least a year, maybe 16 months where I like didn't do anything music related. I wasn't in a band. I was just writing lyrics just like alone in my room, but I wasn't, wasn't playing music. I didn't have anyone that was interested in playing music. Uh, I was sort of just kind of floating in like it, somewhere in the in-between. Um, and then from there, our last show with my old band, uh, Boundaries played it, but Boundaries at that point was just uh, like a bunch of 14 year olds playing like Moth to Flames covers. Um, and the only original member that's still in the band right now is our guitarist Zadak. And that was, he started Boundaries with his high school era friends because he wanted to check out music. And so by the time my first band broke up, Boundaries was down to like two members. Um, because everyone else had decided that they, it wasn't for them. But Zadak was like, no, I want to, I think there's more, more meat left on the bone here. I want to continue with this project and I'll just, you know, I'll eventually find people or I won't. And so he played our last show. And so that sort of established a line of communication. And once his singer left, I was like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not doing anything. Um, what's the harm in, in trying it out? You know, let's, let's write or record something. Let's, let's jam out. We'll figure something out. Uh, worst case scenario, it sucks. And then, so from there, it's me, him, and one other kid who I, whose name I can't remember. But now it's like three people. Um, and from there, you know, we're going to shows. We're re-entering, re-entering the music world. And our other guitarist, Corey, his band is... They have like an EP that they haven't put out, but they recorded it, but they have members leaving and joining other projects for other opportunities. And so his band was just petering out. It was less people weren't interested, but it was more so people were getting caught up in other projects. And so Corey was stuck in the middle being like, well, this is my project. Like, this is the thing that, you know, this is the basket all my eggs were in, like you were saying. Um, And everyone else sort of pivoted to things that they liked playing more or thought would be a bigger project that could break them out more. And so the band kind of dissolved accidentally. Like they didn't have like a big going away. They didn't have a farewell show. It was just like kind of one day they stopped practicing. They stopped playing shows. They stopped getting to, like together and meeting up. And so, uh, I knew him very, very marginally. Um, it's just like, Hey, we need another guitarist. Uh, we don't know what we sound like yet. We don't know what we want to do. I know it'll be somewhere in the realm of heavy and you clearly care enough about music, uh, because you already have a van and a trailer. Like you're taking this seriously. Um, do you want to join us and we'll, we'll see what happens. And really it was just kind of the circumstance of whoever was around at the time that was free and we thought would be worth working with. I mean, there was there's 10 old members of boundaries that spent a month in the band and, you know, couldn't hack it. But then eventually we had probably for like the last three years or so, three or four years, we've had like the same core. Once we eventually found people that were really interested. Were you guys always from the offset, you know, you're, you're the kind of band that now 
stylistically, you know, you kind of mentioned it earlier. I'd say you toe the line. You know, you you guys want to play games and you're not sure which court you want to play it in, but I think that's exciting for a listener. So from the offset, did you know that you wanted to just dabble with whatever you wanted to do or were you specifically trying to be a band that dabbles in everything? Um, no, I think it's really just a product of all of our influences being too different from one another's like Corey's old band you know it just it, they wanted to sound like the devil wears prada they wanted to sound like a like a rise records band from that era you know 2011 2012 um god, that was their thank goal god, thank god they stopped that <laughs> sorry sorry um, <laughs> no you're good well but like that's the realm that he was coming from like that's the style of music he was really familiar with Whereas me, like I mentioned earlier, like I'm mostly listening to like, like death metal or like bridge nine record bands, like mm-hmm. hardcore and punk, um, way less like breakdown mosh type music way, you know, no synths, none of that stuff. Uh, not a lot of singing. Uh, that's where I was coming from. But then you also have people like Zadak who is, you know, a handful of years younger than us. So then his perspective is entirely separate from Corey and I's, who are the same age, maybe one year apart. Um, so it really just became kind of this Frankenstein of like, okay, I like this thing that you wrote, but I want to put something like this in there. And then someone else would weigh in and be like, those two parts are cool, but uh, I think it gets boring around here. Why don't we do something like this? And so it really just became all of us weighing in with our different influences, and it becomes this type of mash of all over the genre does it make you feel comfortable because i think the advantage of that um is that you're not bound by what your sound already is you know if you're a band that is um in the breakdown genre purely you kind of you're restricting yourself kind of with your fan base and with your future releases you kind of have to continually in many senses of the word do it again and again and again. But you guys, you know, you look at like Spring Demonstration, My Body in Bloom, and then the singles we've already heard from Your Receding Warmth, you guys have this kind of freedom to do anything. Yeah, I think that's um, a huge payoff from a lot of years of people not really getting it, of like (laughs) getting what we're doing, or being like, yeah, this band is okay, but... You know, how, like this song is cool, but then the rest of this is, sucks. Like, <laughs> I think that's that is a payoff from a lot of years of of it just people not not getting us, not understanding what we're trying to do. Um, so that eventually, when we reach the point we're at right now, where we're trying to, you know, where where we're a year ago, I guess, when we're trying to write our first full length, like our first piece of music. Uh, 10 or 11 tracks in length, it has to be more complete sounding than just like an EP because anyone can just put four or five songs out and like make them all kind of heavy and it sounds like they belong together. But writing an album that sounds like it belongs together is a little harder, especially if you don't want people to get bored. You know, if you just put out 10 or 11 heavy, fast breakdown tracks, um, yeah, that's cool, but you know, what did you do? How did you add to the conversation? of the genre and of the music that we're all making and playing. Um, and so it sucked for a while. Um, just people, it felt like people didn't really understand what we were going for. Um, but that never really stopped us because 
like like you were mentioning earlier, when you have to work for stuff, uh, what you get is is earned and it feels that much better. That just meant that whenever someone did understand and stick around and become, you know, part of what we were doing, if it was that much more important to us. And it, you know, it it only takes a handful of people to be like, hey, good job, keep going. When you're used to nobody saying, hey, good job, keep going. <laughs> Uh, so, it, it, yeah, it almost made it a little easier because sort of as long as we hadn't quit by the time we wanted to write our first full length, then I, I almost knew it would be not that hard because we've spent the past three releases doing whatever we felt like doing. So now by the time we reached the full length, there's essentially nothing that we could put on it that would scare people away. Because if you're still around by this point, then clearly you were interested in all the other goofy shit we were doing. Well, I think the maturity that you guys have shown step by step is a natural thing expected. You know, a band like yourselves at your age will mature as you go along. So each release is a little bit better. Songwriting gets, you know, stronger. And of course, the music just gets better and better as it's going on. And what was it like for you guys in the early EP days of Hartford County Misery? Sorry, it's a bit of a mouthful um, with my Australian accent, so i got to slowly say it. Um, so, I mean, what was it, you know, for you guys at this stage, you've kind of been going maybe two years, give or take. Are you getting out an EP and just using it as a backbone for uh, getting more shows? Was it kind of an essential chapter to like be like, those songs are done, now we can move on? What was the early EP life for the band going? Uh, it was a lot less organized um, and a lot less uh, like deliberate. It had less of a trajectory. It wasn't like, okay, we are now starting the writing process. Um, in two months, we will emerge with some type of record. Uh, HCM, we wrote just by like all getting in a garage together and jamming out songs. It was very, it's like how I used to write when I was 16 in punk bands. Like it was... You know, some days you get together for a few hours and you jam out for a bit and nothing good comes of it uh, because it is so like disorganized and uh, organic and fluid. Um, but we weren't in a rush because who, you know, who were we? No one knows who we are. We can take all the time in the world to put out music because no one's expecting anything new. Um, so we just and at, the, at that point with those members, especially, it was very important that like everyone had their say and their input when we were writing and that's just something that was easier to do in a live setting you know in the garage with everything plugged in and turned on hey what if we try something like this you know play a riff okay well to that riff i would put this type of uh drums underneath it and then from this fill we can go into something more vocally driven here uh it was exhausting it was way slower um but again there was no there was no urgency to it um, we just wanted, we knew we had to put out music if we wanted to ever tour because people need music to listen to. They need it to buy, they, they need it for everything. You know, we had already spent like a year playing HCM songs. We just didn't record them. Um, and so we were kind of, okay, well we have to get these out of our catalog cause we can't just play them forever. But also most people don't even know they exist because who are we? We haven't recorded them. So it was really just the necessity of if we want to move on. And if we ever want to tour or write new music, uh, we have to record these songs and put them out. It also feels like it was a nat it gave you guys some natural momentum because 
it rolled into the next EP, Spring Demonstration, which was your first release on a label, Unbeaten Records, who you're still with now. Um, did yeah. it? Is that release and then the grind of the live setting how you got that connection with Unbeaten? Like, how did that come about for you guys? Because that, you know, in 2020, some people say record labels aren't important, but the reality is they are still important and it is still a big step for bands. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I totally get the the jaded, you don't need a label type thing. I mean, sure, I'll, like I'll go so far as to say no one needs a label. There's a lot of stuff you can do without one. Um but there's also a lot of things that you will never do on your own without a label. Um, unless you have, I mean, really what a label is, is like an extra bank account. It's mm. someone you can go to and be like, Hey, uh, I've sort of proven myself and that we're taking this seriously enough so that you signed me onto your label. I need this amount of money to film music videos, to record a record, to do this, this, and that all related to my art. Um, I could do it without you. You know, all of every member of the band could work seven days a week and put money aside for the next six months. Sure, I could. Um, but that sounds like shit. Uh, <laughs> when I when we could work together, you could give me some money. And in in trade of that, I give you some amount of what I make off of this record. But then the record gets to come out this year and not in three years when we pay our way through it by ourselves. Um yeah, you could do it without it, sure. Especially early on. I mean, you don't really need a label when you're just recording, you know, you're producing everything yourself in your friend's basement. Like, you don't need one right then, sure. Um, but I think eventually, if you want to take a step up and make it a bit more serious, uh, labels aren't always the enemy. Sometimes they are, for sure. And, you know, be cautious before you sign stuff. Have a lawyer look it over. Uh, make sure you understand terminology. Make sure you understand what the percentages mean and how much of their music they own or, you know, your music they own and for how long. All really important. But um, I don't think labels are the boogeyman that maybe people once interpreted them as. And uh, but moving from that, we got uh, involved with Unbeaten because Unbeaten is a, a subsidiary of Equal Vision and they're based out of Albany, uh, New York, the state over from us. And we just played a show in Albany, and uh, Buddy, the the head of Unbeaten, was just at the show. Um, and at that point, we had put out HCM, we had printed CDs, like we were, all of the things that we were doing were completely DIY. You know, we had merch that we paid for, we had CDs we paid for, um, and he just he watched our set. And you know, it's it's one state over from Connecticut, so. We have some people there who know who we are, enough people to give us like a pretty good reaction and a pretty good set. And so we made a good first impression on him. He comes to the table, sees we have all of this merch that we're paying for and we're handling. We sort of just, um, when when he showed interest, we're like, okay, so who are you guys? Like, how did, did you put the CD out or did someone else? Uh, we, by the time he was interested, we were just like, no, we've we've always done everything by ourselves. And so sort of upon meeting he already knew that we were serious about it and we could we were serious enough that even if people didn't want to work with us we were going to keep doing it and that's sort of the prerequisite for working with a label is they want to know that you're not going to break up in a year and they're going to be out a bunch of money that they can't recoup anymore we had kind of already shown him that we were serious about it 
Does coming into a label setting or environment come with any pressure or expectations for you guys? Like, do you feel like there's any extra weight to deliver? Um, not for us specifically, or maybe more accurately, not for myself. Um, it's just by the time that we're signing contracts and we are, you know, now legally bound to working together, I just assume that you trust me. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was sort of step one is, okay, well, if you liked what I was already doing without you enough that you wanted to work together, why would you then ask me to change what I'm doing when what I was doing got you interested in the first place? Mm. So I never really felt any type of pressure to sound a certain way, make merch that looks a certain way, do certain tours, um, you know, when the only reason we're talking is because we did whatever we wanted, however we wanted, then I think the expectation has to be that you allow me to continue doing that as long as I don't make an embarrassment out of myself, you know? But if I do, that's at the end of the day, that's more on me than it is my label. And we've managed to avoid that so far. That's fucking refreshing to hear though. You, a lot of yeah. people, a lot of people have a kind of mindset that as soon as they get the label connection that suddenly it's like oh okay pressure's dialed up to 11 um you know so that's refreshing to hear and i think it's perfectly said you know you wanted me here for how i I work and grind and do what i do so let me do it and i'll prove you that it was worth it yeah i mean i it is a benefit that unbeaten is a subsidiary Mm. of a bigger label you know maybe that's that's less pressure um, maybe it would be different if I was signed to, you know, Nuclear Blast and it's this giant world encompassing label that everyone knows the name of. But at the end of the day, I, I, I sort of think that the, uh, the root of it is the same, which is, as we both just said, like, if you wanted me here, why would you then ask me to change anything I'm doing? That seems counterproductive, mm. you know? Um, the next step for you guys was... I think it was the one that probably outside of America probably opened the world to knowing the Boundaries name a bit more, and that was My Body in Bloom. Was For me, that felt like it was very, you know, I don't like the word, but hyped is the word I'm going to use. Um, mm-hmm. Did it feel like that for you guys, that it was getting hyped and it was getting quite a bit of attention, that it was opening doors that you never thought could be opened already? Um, I'm definitely surprised, um, that that EP ended up on, uh, as many people's radars as it did, but that was also our, like our first real on a label. Now it has distribution. Now it's, now it's a CD that you can go buy in a record store. It's not just something you have to come to a show that we're playing to get. So it definitely, like a wider net was thrown, so I expected more people to hear it. Um, but given the circumstances of how we recorded that record, like how we wrote and recorded it, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm surprised, definitely, still to this day, that there's like songs on that record that people are like, that's the one that was like, that sort of was the catalyst for me liking your band. When... I don't know. That's just not something you never know what song is going to be the one. And so to hear the people um, off of that EP were like, yeah, uh, track three. It's like, oh, shit. OK. You know, mm. I didn't 
I've always thought of it in terms of like a band really shoots their shot when they go for first full length, when they write, you know, here's 30 something minutes of uninterrupted. Here's what we can do. I've always thought of that being sort of like the real display of what a band is capable of. And so when people were interested and were sticking around being like, okay, when's the, when's the full length because of that EP, it was, um, it offered like some fresh perspective as far as, uh, what people expect when you make stuff for them. Well, I also think, you know, not to say that the two EPs before weren't, uh, raw and honest, but you know, tracks like blush, you know, it, mm-hmm. you know, I think the sound of the band already is intense, raw, aggressive, dark, heavy, you know, I'll use every analogy you want me to use in a book, you know, to <laughs> sum up the heaviness that's going on here and in a good way. But I think it was a switch where I think we sometimes go through phases with heavy bands that the lyrics aren't, and I'm not disrespecting bands that don't, but they don't feel raw in an honest way. You know, it doesn't feel like someone's opened up their heart and their world and said, here it is, consume it. I'm I'm here for everyone to see. And I think that's yeah. when boundaries started to become known as a band that do that for songs like Blush. I mean, that's that's got to be something that you take a bit of warmth and heart to as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I just like for me, uh, the writing process, like especially like lyrically, that is something that I pivoted into more. Um, I don't know if it's from just sort of finding the limits of what I can and cannot write about. But um, writing stuff and like shifting gears into being like the most vulnerable, um, those are the songs that like feel the best to play because it allows me to communicate things I otherwise couldn't. And I get to do it through the scope of music where people can enjoy it for whatever reason they do, whether they relate or they just think the song is heavy and cool. Um, My Body in Bloom was definitely a level up as far as, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take some of the more personal and close issues and just put them on display because I, you know, I, in day to day, normal conversation, I don't want to talk about these things, Mm. um, especially not with strangers. But when it's through the scope of a song on a record, um, then I don't know. It just it's it feels distant enough that I'm comfortable to talk about it. But it's also intimate enough that it's coming very directly from specific events in my life. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely something I hadn't considered was just that with my body in bloom, it is much more of a, of a window into just where I am mentally. Well, it's also, you know, everyone knows there's going to be songs from any band in any genre about heartbreak and loss and stuff, but these touch on subjects that sometimes aren't discussed or openly discussed. So when you're going to write a song that is so, you know, poignant and honest about other topics that aren't normally discussed in the heavy genre or any genre, are you nervous? Are you worried that... It could be misconstrued and misinterpreted, or you just kind of feel relief that you're able to express it. Um, I used to I care a little bit more about people not understanding um, or misinterpreting, or uh, but 
sort of like we were saying earlier, at a certain point you have to call something done and just put it out there. And if you spend too much time being so deliberate about, hey, this song is about this, this lyric means that, um, then we're getting further and further away from you expressing yourself and more, okay, now how do I project myself onto people who listen to my music? How do I make sure they get it? Um, there's always going to be people, be people who don't get it or who get it in a way different than you expected. And that doesn't have less value than, you know, why I write a song or why I put it out. You know, if, you know, Blush is a song, like just to use it as an example, cause you brought it up. That's a song that's you know, written through my perspective about my mother. Um, but some people listen to that song and go, you know, I'm talking about relationships I saw my mother in, but people listen to that song and they go, oh, I relate to it. I've been in that situation. Yeah. So it's already different than what I'm talking about. But it doesn't mean that it's worth less or that they're not getting it and so I'm upset about it. Yeah, they're not getting it the way I wrote it, but that's fine. That's part of it. That's part of doing anything creative is, you know, that's part of that vulnerability is allowing other people to come in and be like, that's stupid because of this. And it doesn't matter that they are, you know, that they're wrong or that they don't get it. You just let them have it and move on because you're going to find more people who are like, oh, I get what you're saying. That's, you know, that's great. And so you just sort of have to, you have to pick your battles. I think it's powerful having a song that can be taken in several ways because some songs, you know, are very specific and you can't really find anything else except except what is being delivered. But with your songs, I think that's exciting that someone over here can get that from it, but then that other person over there gets that from it. That kind of opens your world to a, a wider audience. You know, more people can get into it. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's something that, I don't know if upset is the right word, but it's something that, that like I used to think about more. It's just like, okay, well, how do I write this song in a way that's going to avoid any confusion? That people are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. But then at that point, it's I'm letting other people alter my writing process. And so I've already lost. And now I'm already making things that are, that are less artistically genuine. You know, they, they don't have the integrity of the other things I've written because now I'm changing the way I write to fit other people. Um, there's always going to be people who don't get it. That's just part of it. So I'd rather just, you know, write the way I want to write. And then whatever people get out of it is what they get out of it. Well, I mean, what, what we've heard so far from the thing that's about to come out, um, your receding warmth, and I'm going to do the Everyone listening, here's your plug for the date, November 13th. There we go. Did, did that sound nice? I think that sounded nice. Oof. That sounded yes. great. Yeah, I'm going to tip my hat at that. Oof, well done. Let's try, <laughs> let's try that again. November 13th. Lovely. Um, Ooh, real nice. Yeah, real nice. Um, sorry. Um, you know, coming into doing a full length, was there any consideration on doing another EP? Did you think of doing a Creed covers EP? Um, where were you coming into this transition of doing a full length? Cause I know it was actually recorded late last year. Yeah. Um, no, we, we knew it was full length time. Uh, I mean, even when we put out my body in bloom, there were a few people who were like, Oh wow, another EP, huh? And it's just like, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, we get it. Like we have to, we have to suit up. We have to do the big boy record. Um, so it was really just a matter of time. You know, we've been a band uh, like Boundary's been playing shows for like five years. 
So the idea that our first full length is just about to come out is probably slower than most people do it. But um, that's just what happens when you don't know uh, what your band sounds like or what you want to write about. <laughs> and everything is much more organic and natural. You just, okay, well, it's time to write a record, but uh, that means we have to write a lot because we're going to write a lot of stuff that we don't even like that much and uh, we end up throwing away. How many tracks did you guys actually write? Because there's 11 on the album, so how many got scrapped? Yeah, there's 11 on the album. It was originally 10, um, but then like with the delay of the record, uh, like in the middle of this past summer, uh, like August, I want to say, we just went back to the studio and added a track because it was like, well, you know, we're not doing anything else and we want to add a song, so we just put another song on. <laughs> um, but originally... Uh, 20-plus, 20 uh, 20-something, 20 I can't remember the um, the final number. Uh, the only reason I know that is just because anytime we would sort of finish uh, a song or finish an idea, we would just save it as whatever, like, you know, song 17, song mm-hmm. 18. Um, but, uh, yeah, it got up into the 20s as far as, you know, there's, there's a handful. I mean, I could make an EP out of B-sides that just didn't make it onto the record. And then how do you guys approach, you know, because it's quite a different mindset, you know, you were mentioning earlier about an EP and, you know, it it's a bit easier to put together a couple of songs um, that sound heavy into one EP, but when you're trying to refine things down to 11 or 10 originally tracks, um, was there a mindset that you guys went into to fine-tune and trim the fat, per se? Um, it was really just based off like the feel of it was you know like yeah the song you know sometimes we write bad songs every band does sometimes you spend uh, a week working on a track and then you sit there and you listen to it and you go this is dog shit i don't like this isn't even good (laughs) we spent so much time but we just you know you when you force the puzzle pieces to fit you'll still make the picture but it'll look kind of fucked up (laughs) and so that we had songs like that um but then there were also songs where it's like yeah this is a fine track this is a you know this is good we'd like it but how does it fit against what we want the whole album to look and feel and sound like um you know like going into this i didn't just want to put out like my body in bloom part two it had to be like it had to be that times two it had to be something that felt a little familiar and felt like thematically like you could identify with it if you liked one you'll like the other but i didn't want to just put out essentially that ep again and so there were songs that felt like my body and bloom songs that were like yeah these are good it would totally make sense for us to release this and to play them live and everyone would get it but it's it's too safe it's too much of the same um so that definitely led to a couple of songs getting cut was just yeah, this is this song is fine, but who cares? Hmm. It's not it's not doing enough, especially not like if we want our sound to move in a direction. And we've already done shit like this, so who cares? Um, you know, it's not it's not saying enough. It's not interesting enough on its own. Uh, and so those songs would just make their way out of the out of the album. I think another thing that you can already tell just off the singles alone is that you know having someone like Randy behind the desk for you guys also has helped you know it there's nothing against doing things yourself and doing it a bit diy in the recording sense and you know doing it in the garage kind of thing but 
the production already sounds on the singles alone a big step up as well. So that was obviously an emphasis for you guys. Yeah. Um, with, you know, like I said, putting putting like the big pants on and doing the big boy album came with going to like a more like musically end game producer, someone you've heard of before, someone who has done, you know, 20 records this year already. And they're all uh, not necessarily bands that sound like you, but like heavier acts. And so like their range of skill is wider and you know, they'll be more competent in focusing in on what it is you're trying to achieve. Um, working with Randy was definitely, um, unlike anything, especially, I mean, just even the amount of time we spent on the record, um, my body in bloom, we recorded in two and a half days, uh, just because we didn't have the budget to spend any more time at a studio and we were all working full time. We couldn't get more time off work. Uh, so we just woke up one Sunday, drove 15 hours, to Tennessee, um, got there like that next morning, hooked everything up. We had already written every song, so we knew how they were supposed to sound and just, just bang it out two and a half days. Um, and then after that third day, drive home, get to work the next day. Um, but this, we took like a full month. We went to the studio and some people would have to like go home for a little bit and they'd come back. But me and Corey, the, the guitarist, we were there every day. Um, so we were like, there's something was always being worked on. And so if it was a day, not a lot of other people were there, maybe I would do some singing because that only really takes me. But then if it was like guitar tracking, we'd wait for another guitarist to show up to give Corey a break. But when you, the shift from recording an album over half of a week to recording it over almost a month, there's, there's so much more to it that we just didn't really realize, I guess. Well, you, you definitely put the big boy pants on then. You've grown up. Yeah. You know, basically, in, in a sense. Um, it's also interesting because it's been a weird year. I don't want to talk. I mean, if, sorry to everyone listening that might do music publications or podcasts, but let's stop talking about how COVID affects things. I just wanted to ask you. <laughs> it's It's become like... I, I'm sick of seeing that every interview has to say, oh, you know, how's COVID affected you? You know, what is it? Done? Yeah. Well, it's fucking obvious what it's fucking done. Yeah, it's like, been negative. It's been it's, negative to everybody, every life everywhere. It has sucked ass. It, it's clear that it's a shitty thing that's happened to everyone in every industry and everything. Like, let's just not fucking hammer that home anymore. But <laughs> what I wanted to say was what excited me is that a lot of people have said, oh, we're not going to release an album because of what's happening, blah, blah, blah. But I like it because I'm a, a consumer of music and I love always having new music. So it's exciting that you guys have decided to release your receding warmth during a time when people have the opportunity to consume the music. Was that an intentional thought that, fuck it, let's get it out? Uh, yeah, we we knew we wanted it to be a 2020 record. Mm. Uh, it was supposed to be a record that came out June or July, early summer, because mm. we recorded it this time last year. The, the album was uh, completely recorded last November, mm. and so we did notes through like early holiday season, you know, January, February. But by March, we had the record. It was done, 
uh, as far as like mixing and mastering, everything was completely ready. Um, but then obviously March is also when the entire world turned upside down. Mm. Um, and so there was a very obvious delay as far as, you know, even stuff like printing CDs and printing vinyl, you know, in, entire states are shut down. No one's going to work. There's, there's delays in everything, you know, at, at a certain point, even if you wanted to put the record out, we couldn't have because we couldn't, we didn't have the infrastructure anymore to produce the things that people would be buying or listening to. Um, so by the time that some of those industries were allowed to return in very limited formats, um, you know, having a couple of people at the plant uh, working or pressing your vinyl or uh, having a couple of people printing shirts or hoodies or whatever. Uh, we knew we wanted it to be a 2020 record because the songs are already, you know, not old to us, but I've been writing them and listening to them and practicing them for a year and they're not even out. Um, if, if we want it to feel as fresh as they were when we wrote them, then the only way to do that is to put them out. And I never, it's a very intentional thing that we never want to be a band where people are waiting to hear new stuff forever. Um, my body in bloom turned a year old and we were like, okay, it's time to write a record. You know, I'm not going to have people listening to these six songs for two and a half years. It's ridiculous. Um, we're not big enough that people will still care in two years if we put out our record then. You know, whatever little attention we have on ourselves, that's not going to stick around until the end of COVID. You know, it's it's right here. We already wanted to put the record out now anyway. Uh, yeah, we can't tour it. You know, we can't do a release show. We can't do a lot of the fun stuff we want to do. But um, there's more serious issues than us not playing a release show. <laughs> you know, in the in the scheme of things, it's sort of toughen up it's not that fucking serious oh no you don't get to play a show for your record you know well we'll do it next year mm. you know people will still want to see the songs they'll still come to the show and then you don't have to actively put people's fucking lives at risk <laughs> well it's it's also i think perfect that an album comes out because you know i'm constantly looking at my phone for a new album every week you know i'm going on there on the friday and i go well, there's nothing new you know, nothing new. So when something new is out, fuck man, like I'm, I'm, maybe you only get, you know, an extra couple of hundred people gravitating towards it, but that's an extra hundred people that have nothing else to do that have gravitated towards it because they see it's new. I think it's very important yeah. to still get music out. But you also hit a nail on the head there that, you know, if you don't release the music, no matter what's happening in the world and just sit on it, well, when is the band going to take the next step in writing new music? You know, you delay that. Yeah, we would. I mean, everything is already on pause as far as like tours that have been canceled. You know, some have been postponed or, you know, rescheduled. But even now, we're not in a state of things where we know like, OK, well, by this day, shows will come back mm. because things aren't getting better regularly enough in a lot of the world especially not the states i'm not even gonna fucking talk about the states there's no tours here for the next 100 fucking years obviously um well, unless you want to but, sit in a box i saw photos that you can sit in a box or like a cage oh yeah oh yeah go come park your car and listen yeah. to the new boundaries record who gives a shit are you serious bro no i'd rather just fucking stop making music go become an electrician or something than fucking yeah, but play to people in the plastic seats, uh, all in, in a football field, nowhere near me. That sounds like dog shit. Not interested. 
Mm. Um, but I do want to put my music out because mm. the music, you know, it's it's a moment in time captured. It's you know, I, the songs I wrote last year, I'm not going to write this year because the the events in my life, the people I was talking to or interacting with, all of that changes day to day. Mm. You know, I'm not going to. So it's a, it's a disservice to my own. Uh, you know, creativity to not to delay it because, ooh, maybe more people will care if I put it out a year from now when shows are back. Uh, mm. Fuck that. I'm just going to put it out now because right now is when the songs are relevant to me. You know, that's, that's the things I want to talk about. I want to talk about them right now. Things I talk about next year, uh, we'll figure out what that is when I write them. Yeah. Um, I've got to say the, the, you know, Carve, I'd rather not say, and Behind the Bend, you know, I was trying to think of, you know, I used all those analogies before about dark and heavy, so I can't use them. So I was trying to think of an analogy that perfectly sums up those songs, and it would be oof. It's just <laughs> oof. Like, this is quite exciting, this release. I'm excited for it, and I was wondering, have you noticed that people are as excited as you guys? Because understandably, you're excited. It's your band. It's your music. But... What's the reception been like and reaction from either new fans or old-time fans? Um, it's definitely been positive. Mm-hmm. And I've, I tend to stay away from what people have to say about like my band and really just kind of like most creative media in general. I'm not huge on like critic reviews of stuff i i'm a big proprietor of i will consume it i will form my own opinion on it and i will move forward from there as far as whether or not i watch or listen to something again or i recommend it to a friend these are all things that um, a necessary step of it is for me to first have taken it in so you know i i love when people are outwardly vocal saying positive things about my band but i know you know with every one of those there's someone um, you know, with something negative to say, or even if they're not being vocal, they, they click on the video and they watch 15 seconds of it and they go, this is stupid. And they move on. That's fine. Like I just, I tend to try to avoid it wholesale. Um, but it would be a disservice to say that people haven't been very positive and supportive of everything that we've put out so far, as far as music videos and, um, really just any type of the media, uh, merch, uh, designs regarding the artwork. Um, although some people don't get the art, which is fine because it's abstract intentionally. Um, I think to not get it is sort of to get it. I think, uh, <laughs> they like accidentally found their way exactly where they're supposed to be. Um, but yeah, people have been uh, new or old. Um, it's, it's on the internet. It's kind of hard to tell who's new or old because it is just like, you know, usernames and YouTube comments, and so like, you know, some people you recognize, but it's hard to a lot of the time. It's much easier when you're just going to a show and you're like, oh fuck, Mike's here. Hey dude, how are you? Um, but obviously that's not an option right now. Um, but there have been people that have reached out who have been like, hey, you know, I've been listening since such and such. You know, I think this is great, or I think this is a good direction, or you know, this song, uh, I really liked how you did this. Uh, people have definitely been supportive. And uh, maybe it's just my own uh, self-esteem, but more supportive than perhaps I thought they would be. Um, either just because I thought they wouldn't like the music or the video or the whatever um, mixed with just like, we're not a big 
banned. So I don't know how far reaching any of my stuff is ever going to be. So when someone does reach out and they're like, hey, this was great. I'm like, how did you even hear it? Um, but yeah, it's been it's been positive. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, like I told you before we um, started this, I mean, I'm from an obscure town in Australia, so I discovered it before I was fucking knew the album was coming out. So, you know, I've been into you guys since 2018, I think. Um, so yeah, keep that's, doing, that's insane to hear. Keep doing what you're fucking doing, man. Um, Thank you. Don't slow down. Um, I'm still waiting and will be waiting for a Creed cover album. Um, or EP. Oh, yep. Yep, um, uh, Human Clay. We're gonna play it in fall. Thank you. That's the least I expect. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, solid riffs um, with some breakdowns. Oh, for sure. Uh, over Creed, yeah, for sure. Um, so, just again, before we get into wrapping things up, your receding warmth, everyone listening, November thirteenth um, on um, Unbeaten Records. Um, so, let us get into the finish of the show. So we're going to do something silly. Not that we have been doing anything serious really anyway, have we? Mm, yeah, kind of. Uh, you know, give mm. and take. Yeah. A little here, a little there. Yeah, we've got to make things fun. It's important. Um, this is called Pick Your Poison. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick your brain. I'm going to give you an option of two. You're going to pick your favorite of the two. You do not need to justify your answer, but you're welcome to justify your answer. They're very understood. Some are going to be easy. Some are going to be hard. Would you rather a pizza or a burger? Uh, pizza. Okay. Uh, Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Mm, Chinese. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Crunchy. No, fuck it. Not even a question. Crunchy always. <laughs> soft taco or crunchy taco? Uh, soft taco. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee, easy. Uh, cook at home or dine out at a restaurant? Dine out for sure. Okay, a new movie's coming out. Are you going to see it at the cinema or are you going to wait and watch it on the couch? Um, much more of a couch person. Okay. Uh, spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? Fuck, they both suck so bad. Uh, <laughs> snow. Okay. Um, cat or dog? I think I just broke him. Struggling. Well, here's the thing. I'm allergic to both. Uh, I don't own pets uh, because I'm allergic to just most animals and most parts of animals. <laughs> um, so I can be in a house that has a cat easier because they're smaller typically and just kind of mind their own somewhere else. Um, but a dog is like, what the fuck's up? I'm, I'm 90 <laughs> pounds. I'm on top of you. I'm licking your face. Mm-hmm. Um, but dogs are in, in that respect, sort of more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I'm going to go dog. Okay. Um, Terminator franchise or Predator franchise? Mm. I think it has to be Terminator. Okay. Rambo or Rocky? Rambo. Easy. Would you rather hang out with James Bond or Jason Bourne? 
Oof, I guess that would depend on which Bond. Um, um, let's just go Daniel Craig. Just go. Okay. I feel like it would have to be Daniel Craig. He's definitely... Um, I mean, if we're sticking to character, I don't drink, so he's not going to buy me a drink, but at some point he's going to um, try to fuck me. <laughs> but I think that's that's probably worth it because Daniel Craig seems like an interesting guy. Yeah, see, I'd rather hang out with him as well because, you know, Matt Damon, Jason Bourne just looks like he's constantly got issues and he's always angry about something and he's flipping out with paranoia. But if I'm hanging yeah, out I don't, with, you know, hanging I don't out know if I Bond, want to hang out with a sleeper cell agent. I'm no. going to say like, yeah, uh, uh, peanut butter banana. And he's, I'm going to activate something in his brain. He's going to fucking break my neck. <laughs> and he's looking around and he's going... I think there's a camera in that book. Okay. Yeah. 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 There is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I'll pick. Uh, I'll pick Bond. <laughs> yeah. Um, Star Wars or Star Trek? Ooh. Um. I'm not uh, specifically uh, really a fan of either. So keeping that in mind, um, Star Wars was definitely more of my childhood. So. If I have to revisit one of them, I guess it would be that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Star Trek could be the, the sickest shit on earth. I've just never really, I never watched it outside of the the more recent movies. Yeah, see, so, I'm, I'm the same. I've, I've only seen the recent movies, but my dad was obsessed with Star Trek, and I never got it. <laughs> didn't get it. Didn't understand it. Um, yeah. All right. Some. Oh, one last TV one before some music ones. South Park or Simpsons. It has to be South Park. It was just such a big part of me growing up. Again, older brother, uh, him showing me stuff I'm too young for, but South Park was definitely part of that. Okay. Slayer or Pantera? Um, I think Pantera makes music that I more so want to listen to. Um, but... Slayer is definitely less white power. Yes. Um, so I guess it depends on what I'm doing. If, if I'm walking around wearing a shirt, I'm wearing a Slayer shirt. Mm. Um, but if I'm at home listening to music, I guess Pantera is on. Yeah, it's also an interesting one that when you go to a metal show and people are drunk, they don't scream out Pantera. They scream out Slayer at the top of their lungs. Yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to argue with their body of work and mm. – uh, Really, everything that they've done to uh, to, to the genre. Mm. Um, um, yeah, both both demand respect in their own ways. Terror or Mad Bull? Uh, I think it has to be Terror. Nice. It's it's just a band I've accidentally seen one hundred times because <laughs> I'm from the Northeast, mm-hmm. and Mad Ball was always more like terrible tour with anybody. You know, they'll just they just want to play shows. So I've seen them who knows how many times and they also just care so much about performing and being musicians whereas madball is like a little more specific to like bands they you know like quote unquote make sense with or but terror is just like what's up you'll have us play i'm here let's let me play mm. and uh, i respect that yeah uh, i'm obsessed with both but if i had to pick i'd be the same terror only just um oh okay darkest hour or god forbid um, I think Darkest Hour. Um, God forbid, I only listened to one record forever ago. Um, maybe it's a band worth revisiting. Maybe it's that type of thing where you go back later and now I'm a little older, a little wiser, and I get it more. 
Um, but Darkest Hour just has, you know, they've just been doing what they do for so long and be, been so unwavering with it. Um, I think I think Darkest Hour pulls ahead slightly for me. Okay, now this one, now when I mention both bands, think back to late 90s times for the bands, um, In Flames or Soil Work? Oh. I'm talking Clayman In Flames, I'm talking Predator's Portrait, Soil Work. I think if we're talking specifically that era, it would have to be soil work. Mm-hmm. Um, later in flames is awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like that in flames has songs that I've been listening to for 15 years and I'm not sick of. Mm-hmm. Whereas soil work is more like, ah, oh, let's, you know, let's have a little fun trip back to stuff I used to listen to. Oh man, the memories. And then I move on. Whereas in flames is like, I just want to listen to like come clarity right the fuck now. Mm. And I put it on. I'm like, this is awesome. Whereas soil work is a little more of like a nostalgia thing for me at this point. Mm. But, uh, if we're talking that era of both bands, I think it would have to be soil work. Um, okay. Two last movie, uh, music ones. And then we'll wrap up the segment. Cannibal corpse or black Dahlia murder. Cannibal Corpse, for sure. Nice. Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. Sorry, Dave. No one picked you again. I'm sorry, Dave. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, if he goes back and listens to 140-odd episodes of this show, he's going to notice that maybe one has picked Megadeth. I'm sorry, Dave. Yeah. yeah. None for me, thanks. (laughs) Another one passes on your creativity, Dave. Have a cry. Um, okay, last couple. Stage dives or mic grabs happening at a show? What do you prefer? Um, when you can actually be in close proximity to each other. Right. Of course. Of yeah. course. Um, I think it has to be mic grabs because mm-hmm. it just – it requires – like stage dives are awesome. I love stage diving. Um, but like – Stage dive is more of like an atmosphere thing. Like, oh, the energy in here is just so heightened that you're like, fuck it, I'm going to jump off this thing. Mm. Whereas a mic grab is more like, at least, you know, when people don't just like get up there and mush mouth it and pretend they know words. (laughs) But like when people are actually like this part of the song, this is, I identify with this. I want to share this moment. Like it just, it feels a lot more intimate and a lot more, like special and intentional. Whereas like jumping off a stage when a band, like I've jumped, I've staged off the bands that I've never heard of that were playing a song. I don't know, but I was just like, I fuck it. Like, I just want to stage dive right now, but I've never grabbed a mic for a band. I don't know. And just went (laughs) into it. Well, they don't just, they don't just do that, but they get all their sweat on it, spit all over Uh, it. And then, yeah, the mic gets, Someone grabs it and then the cord is gone and it's just it's wrapped around the whole front row of people. And now (laughs) the song has moved on 20 seconds and I need it back, but it's lost. (laughs) The whole band is now the whole band's four more songs into the set now. Yeah, it's it's... at that point. I've reached over and taken my guitarist microphone and uh, (laughs) he just doesn't have to do backups until I find the other one. Um, You're going to go to a show. Do you watch it from the pit or do you watch it by the sound desk? Ooh, that definitely depends on the band. Um, 
there are bands I just want to listen to. I just want to see um, sort of how their recorded sound transmits to a live setting. Um, but there are also bands where all of the fun of seeing them is being right up in front in their face, mm. you know, just getting like the full force of their performance. Um, I guess if I have to pick one, I'd rather be right up front in like the pit area. Nice. Um, second last one. This one, you need one to go with the other, but let's just imagine you can only do one. And that is, would you rather tour for the rest of your life or record music for the rest of your life? Uh, touring. Yeah. Uh, touring is, it's the best. Even when like, even when touring sucks, it's still the best. Like it's, it's just weird, all encompassing, uh, just like, it's the best version of being alive is just woke up today, went to somewhere where people want to hear my music played for them, uh, ate some type of local food or drank some type of local coffee or something. Um, I broadened my horizon of my perspective of the country I live in or the entire world. If I'm overseas or something, it's just, I don't know. It it has too many facets to it that are just, you can't replicate it through just, you know, sitting in the studio, pumping out songs. And the last one, I'm going to give you your all time favorite album. And this one's a triple one. Do you want that album on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Um, I think it would have to be on my phone just for the multiple use, like the, uh, the application of having it on a phone. Um, that means I can also listen to it walking around. I'm, I'm a big, I like to just like put on a record and, and go somewhere. Mm. Um, especially if I'm listening to like an old favorite or something that's like brand new, I like to, and not the band brand new, fuck the band brand new, <laughs> more, more like a, a, a record that just came out. Um, Creed. I like, yeah. for example, Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to listen sort of uninterrupted. I don't want to like be playing a game while I listen to it or doing anything too like mentally involved. I want to be checked out completely and just consume it. And so I, th- I think it would have to be phone because then I don't just have to like be in a room with a fucking record player sitting there listening to it. I can be somewhere where my mind is a little more floaty and free, you know, just out like a reservoir or driving across the country, something where it's, I can check out and then I can hone in on the record. Yeah. So you're the same as me. Like one of my favorite places to consume something new, um, EP or album is in the car. I love going for a drive um, and I crank it, spin it a few times and I really get into it. Um, I can't do it while I'm um, playing games. I can do it while I'm cleaning. I can do that, you know, put on the music in my headphones. Um, It's definitely the way to go. Um, I love that ability to deep dive into it Um, and especially go back and relive albums that way as well because then you go, fuck, I forgot track eight was as good as it was and then you listen to it a few times. Um, Yeah, sure. Dude, uh, first thing I've got to say, um, thank you so much for taking time out for me um i much love of course much respect much appreciated every second thank you for having a sense of humor i could gauge that you did so i knew i could go <laughs> my honest self uh sometimes you have people that don't 
understand the awesomeness of Creed, so you can't really push the level with Creed um, uh, that you have. Um, But I could tell you did, and that that made it even more fun. Listeners are probably going to be a bit weirded out. They're like, what the fuck? But, hey, that's part of the fun. Um, I'm excited to completely consume this album. Um, Really enjoying what you guys have done. Um, Hopefully one day you guys get to Australia. When you get to Australia, I'm taking you out for lunch. Um, But, yeah, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, Keep the passion going. Keep the motivation going. Um, And just fuck yeah. Like, yeah, pretty simple. Thank you. I appreciate all that. Um, This is, uh, yeah, humor, very important. I'm not good at being serious guy, serious conversation. Hey, oh, let me let me pontificate about my <laughs> uh, impression of metalcore over the past twenty years. It, all this shit is so fucking corny and goofy that if you don't have it, it, the frame of mind to understand that all of this is inherently silly and yelling into a microphone is ridiculous, then <laughs> I just don't know how you ended up here. Yeah, this is this is all a grain of salt for sure. And yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, look, dude, thank you. Um, look down the track. I'd love to even just have a part two chat. Um, yeah, for sure. Even like six months after the albums come out, touch base, talk a bit about how it went and then, you know, shit talk about other random stuff. So, but, um, yeah, that sounds cool. But yeah, thank you. I'll stop rambling cause I need to urinate from the end of my penis. Um, oh, that's, that's, look, you're making a lot of sense here. I, uh, I definitely haven't been sitting cross-legged for the last 45 minutes wondering <laughs> when I could release this. I haven't taken a sip of my drink for the last 45 minutes. <laughs> um, thank you again, brother. Much love, um, and I'll be in touch. For sure. Uh, stay safe, and thanks again.
So that was my chat with Matt of Boundaries. At the end there, you heard the band's track, Carve. And the second track is called I'd Rather Not Say. Both of those tracks come off the band's most recently released album, their debut album, Your Receding Warmth. The last track you heard is called Kill Me Patiently, which is from the band's EP, My Body in Bloom. Now's the moment where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music at the end there, or you enjoyed the conversation, now's your chance. Get online. Stream the fuck out of this music. If you're into physicals, get on there. Grab a vinyl, grab a CD. And also, if you're into merch, there's lots of that online as well. Get yourself a hoodie, get yourself a shirt, get yourself some more shorts. Most importantly... Rally around Matt and the guys in Boundaries, support them, and help them keep this thing going. I also need to take this moment to thank Matt again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to touching base with you soon. Can't wait to do a part two. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone, episode 141, done, dusted, All wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners, so... If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. 
Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.